Cheers. Kampai. Salute. Gambe. Skull. Prost. Hello, and welcome to the Drunken Storytellers podcast, where I tell folk tales and folklore from around the globe. So sit back, grab yourself a drink, and enjoy the show. Hello everyone, and welcome to the first ever Drunken Storyteller bonus episode. Woo! Episode 11.5. So yeah, I thought with this being um, a bank holiday weekend and a long weekend here in the UK, and I've not really got much to do, um, I thought I would do a quick 10 to 15 minute bonus waffle talk thing for you lot who actually listen to this on the subject of what this weekend is, which is Easter. So I'm going to look at a bit of the folklore and kind of where Easter comes from and kind of dispel some of the myths that where people think it comes from. So, yeah, with it being kind of an off-the-cuff random bonus episode, there is no alcohol being drunk during this. I've already munched on all the chocolate I was going to eat during this episode while I was kind of looking things up. That's kind of my connection there to Easter. That I try, I try to bring in these connections each, each episode. Every episode, I try to connect the drink that I have to... The subject is going to start getting hard as I start kind of looking at more random and weird connections. So yeah, anyway. But yeah, so today I was going to eat chocolate, but I've already eaten it all, so eh, oh well. Here's a weird thing for you. Apparently as a kid, not apparently, why did I say apparently? This is me I'm talking about. So yeah, as a kid, um, I thought that Easter eggs came from bunnies. And so I thought once a year that the bunnies would all come out and uh, to populate everywhere, they would poop out chocolate Easter eggs. We go out, and when you go out on an Easter hunt, you go and steal um, these Easter eggs from bunnies. Yeah, uh, I had a weird mind as a child, and I saw connections where connections should really not have been made. Kind of like the whole thing of chocolate milk coming from brown cows in America, because apparently there are people who believe that chocolate milk comes from brown cows in America. So yeah, I, I, I mentioned in my last episode that I have like popping sound issues and background noise issues and quietness issues so I'm going to I'm trying something this episode I've got something over my mic which I'm hoping is going to cut down a lot of the popping sounds um, and seems to be cutting out a lot of the background noise but it's also making me quiet so I can amplify things and we'll see how things go anyway um, to keep this episode short I'm not going to kind of delve into anything too deeply and so here's a very condensed abridged bastardized version of the easter egg Originally decorated and engraved ostrich eggs uh, have been found dating back 60,000 years in parts of northern and sub-Saharan Africa. These regions are connected to Egypt, Samaria and Mesopotamia, where eggs were viewed as symbols of death and rebirth, and also kingship. These three cultures had a massive influence on early Christianity, where the early Christians took the egg and it was seen to represent the tomb of Christ. And so through that, they would decorate the eggs and represent the tomb of Christ on the what became known as Pasha, um, and the eggs became known as Pasha eggs. Um, you can ignore Grimm and the speculations that the eggs are connected to Ostara and Yostra. Guessing Yostra, my, my old my old English and old high German is not great. Um, he seems to be the only one who actually makes that direct connection. So it, there's no real, from what historical point of view and, and like literal, literal literature point of view, there's no connection between um, eggs and Ostara, other than maybe that she might have been a goddess of fertility but there is nothing that directly relates to the two. So there's one myth busted. But yeah, so as we've just seen, uh, the, the the creation of the Paschal Egg, uh, that is no, now known as the Easter Egg, 
So paschal eggs were originally real eggs painted and decorated, uh, but with the rise of confectionery, the price of chocolate dropping in Victorian times, and there being a mad desire for candies and sweets and things, the egg became chocolate. And in like the 1930s, 1940s, chocolate companies also wanted to kind of make decorative Easter bunnies as well. So I can't remember. I was reading that a minute, um, like 10 minutes ago. I can't actually remember the story of the, why we have chocolate Easter bunnies. But it's something to do with chocolate companies and making things. And yeah, anyway. But yeah, in many parts of Eastern Europe, um, kind of like the mainly deeply orthodox regions, they still use real eggs and they're painted and decorated. Um, I remember as a kid painting and decorating eggs and then hiding them around the local the villages that I lived in and then going around and hunting for them with all the school children and stuff on Easter Sunday, all the churches and things. Uh, there's a lot more behind it uh, than what I've just said there. It's all kind of really interesting, but yeah, this is only meant to be a really short episode, so go look it up yourself. Don't make me do it. Where does the name Easter come from and why do we call things Easter eggs and Easter bunnies and not Pasha, as in the actual real name of this Holiday. Holiday? Weekend Vernal Equinox Celebration, even though the Vernal Equinox was last week. Um, this is kind of where, a l- where many people think that the church is basically being a bunch of bastards. And there is kind of a little bit of truth in that, but not so much. The etymology of the word, so etymology, the, the history of the word and where it all comes from, is, is kind of actually uncertain and connected to some very old works. The, the the bit where people think it's kind of like the church being bastards arises from the thought that it is traced back to our great Northumbrian monk and historian Bede, and in his work The Reckoning of Time, which dates back from about 725 CE. In this work, and this is kind of where we only see the actual real reference to Yostra or Stara in kind of literature, this is kind of like the only, only written down evidence of her. He talks of Eostrum or not. Uh, forgive me if that's not how you say it. Again, Old English. Or the month of Yostra. And he translates this in his text as Paschal Month. And this corresponds to modern day April. Uh, Bede writes, Was once called after the goddess of theirs named Yostra, in whose honour feasts were celebrated in that month. And obviously we get through the kind of like the butchering and evolution of languages and now old algamations with with kind of other languages and stuff, we end up seeing the, the, the word changing to Easter. That's one of the kind of connections. And so Ostara is the old Germanic name for Ostra. Sorry, the old Saxon pronunciation. Ostra is Old English or Old High German. And Ostara is kind of seen as the goddess of spring and there's connections to fertility in there as well. Yeah, so, um, as I said, it only really appears in Bede's work. There's no other real kind of written down references to it, especially not in kind of a true pagan connection reference to Ostara. Um, most of it is, as in quite a lot of things within Europe and Northern Europe, it's heavily, it's all recorded by Christians because the old pagan beliefs and things, they were... They were verbal, they were verbal traditions, whereas Christians wanted to write things down. So that's where we kind of see this. They write things down and they put their slants on it, and so therefore many people believe that things were co-opted. So, but yeah, I'm being sidetracked by points that I'm going to make in a second. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, even in Bede's time, um, apparently April was seen as the Paschal month. We'd already got this rise of Paschal and the, the celebration 
of the death and rebirth of Christ was already was already there. So many people believe that the church wanted to obviously wipe out paganism and heathenism. And one of the ways they went about doing this was co-opting the name of gods and festivals. So you see, the, um, we'll talk about this in other episodes, the, the connection between hell and hell, uh, the, the, the Christian Christmas, Christ's Mass and its connection to Mother's Nacht and Saturnalia and things like that. And all, so they kind of uh, co-opted all these things. There is no direct evidence that the church co-opted Easter and they co-opted Ostara. So there is that. Obviously, it's heavily disputed by a lot of pagans on that front, but there's no evidence to support that. Um, weirdly, there is a little bit of consensus, and this is according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, where I found this. The word comes from a Latin phrase, in albis, which is the plural of um, alba, which means dawn, apparently. And if you translate that into Old High German, it becomes isotarum. So that you can kind of see how Isotarum could become Easter. And so we could see like the dawn, the, the new year, the beginning of the new year and stuff like that, and the, the rebirth and this kind of whole fertility thing that you get connections with Easter with. You can kind of see a connection there, I suppose, in a way as well. I'm going to leave it up to you to make your own opinions. I don't know where it really comes from. I've not seen enough evidence to to sway me either ways, despite me having pagan pagan leanings in a way, I suppose. Heathen leanings in a way. I don't I don't know where it comes from. But anyway, uh, so what else have we got? What else have we got here? I'm trying to make this short and I'm waffling and going off on tangents as always. So what else have we got? So yeah, we know that the date changes each year because uh, it's connected to the lunar calendar rather than the solar Canada, and we get the vernal equinox and the death and rebirth of Christ and all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> let's look at the weird origin. Not weird origin, but the weird things related to the Easter Bunny. Well, yes, the Easter Bunny. So let's have a look at this. Uh, let's go to Australia, Aussie land, down under. That warm up place where we sent all our convicts and our rabbits. So, um, they don't have an Easter bunny down, well, I suppose they kind of do, but they kind of don't. Um, but bunnies and rabbits are seen as massive pests down in Australia. They're, a, they're seen as like our, our version of pigeons to some extent. And, um, yeah, you can blame the English for that one. In fact, you can blame the English for a lot of the problems down in Australia. Uh, but we'll not get into that one. But, yeah, rabbits were imported for sport hunting in the 19th century. But Australia's a big fucking country. It's bigger than the moon. And so the rabbits escaped. And rabbits being rabbits, it's like, oh, look, there's lots of land here. And we've got no natural predators. So, woomph, suddenly we have mass, mass numbers of rabbits who destroyed a landscape. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a problem. They ate all the grass and turned it into a desert. Anyway, um... So because they're seen as pests and not those lovable things that we see here, those lovable rampant animals that we get here in, in the UK and things, they have uh, an Easter bilby. And this is a really cute little uh, marsupial, which unfortunately is endangered. I can kind of see how you could do, use this uh, in schools and kind of teach kids about endangered species and how non-native species can be invasive and massively damaging to your environment. So in a way, it's kind of cool. That you can that they've actually managed to take this idea of 
a traditional Easter bunny and go, oh no shit, bunnies here are not good. Let's turn this into something else and connect it to our land and how we can then use it as a teaching thing. So yeah. Uh, it's also kind of in Australia celebrated as a harvest festival because it's autumn in April in Australia because, you know, they're in the southern hemisphere and all. So taking the idea of uh, death and rebirth, we have in the northern hemisphere the rebirth of the year and then in we have in August, September, October time, I can't remember harvest festival is, maybe even November. We have the death side of it, whereas in Australia they actually have it the other way around. So Easter for them is kind of like the end of life. And then they'll have the rebirth side kind of in, in their spring. So, yeah. But from what I can gather, the, the celebrations and the religious festivals are kind of... It's kind of the same as what we get up here. Up here. We're northern. Up here, lad. glad. Anyway. <laughs> That's an interesting little side, side note. Not side note. An interesting, th- an interesting little thing to say. But also, again... The Easter Bunny is not actually a bunny. Um, it is nowadays because it's cute and fluffy and we like things to be cute and fluffy and not scary. But it wasn't really technically scary. It was possibly a hermaphroditic hare. <laughs> yeah, so and it's, there's, an, there's a bit of an outstretched thing there and there's kind of... Com- I'm making my own connections about that. But yeah, it's definitely a hare. It's not a bunny. Hares are big-ass bunnies, big-ass rabbits with big ears, big feet, slightly scarier, of the same genome, but yeah, they're, slightly, they're a slightly different species. So, uh, we'll get on to the hermaphrodite thing in a second, um, and we'll talk about why it's a hare first. So, it's thought that the hare story um, was first mentioned kind of back in, 18, in an 1862 manuscript entitled Diovis Pachalibus. That should be 1682, not 1862. I'm sorry about that kind of confusion there. Um, about Easter eggs uh, by a guy called Jeff, uh, Jeff, no, George Frank von Frankenau, uh, where the hare plays the role of a judge. It's kind of seen as much like a Santa figure um, in that he decides if children have been naughty or nice at the start of Eastertide, and Eastertide is the week before Easter Sunday. He's sometimes depicted in a smart waistcoat in a very kind of Beatrix Potter-esque way. And he goes around carrying coloured eggs, candies and sometimes toys in a basket who he will give to good children. So, why a hermaphrodite? It's kind of, it was believed in ancient civilizations um, and recorded in a few places by a few old philosophers like Pliny and Plutarch that um, hares were seen as hermaphrodites and that they could reproduce asexually and not lose their virginity in that. So um, the church kind of jumped on this idea because, you know, they had the Virgin Mary. And so the hare got associated with the Virgin Mary because they, they believed it could reproduce asexually and without this loss of virginity. So, yeah, we then get this kind of connection between the Virgin Mary and hares. This then becomes a popular motif in medieval churches and the arts that you, arts and engravings, yeah, engravings in some churches. So that then obviously with the connection to rabbits and hares being similar to rabbits, you get this whole connection with death and rebirth and things. And so it kind of connects to Easter that way. 
and then it kind of jumps and connects to the whole thing about the the hare playing the judge and stuff. So yeah, the Easter Bunny is not a bunny, it's a hermaphroditic pagan hare. Who knew that? And now just a few quick random tidbits that I've actually nabbed off Folklore Thursday, their website. So much thanks to the guys over there. Folklore Thursday is it's great. I love Folklore Thursday. Every Thursday on Twitter, they just kind of overtake Twitter with loads of, like, each Thursday they pick a topic and just get everybody to tell little tales about that topic. And the Folklore Thursday website is full of so many interesting and weird little local folklore tales and folklore customs and stuff. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, Go look at them on social media, on Twitter. Um, They do Folklore Thursday takeovers and stuff. And the website is absolutely amazing. So, yeah, um, a lot of these things I'm now going to talk about come from... I got the ideas from that website, so uh, thank you guys from there. Um, all credit goes to these people, um, not me doing any of this work myself, other than the wording, obviously, but the knowledge comes from their website. In the week leading up to Easter, known as Eastertide, uh, weather watchers would come out and start making predictions on the months to come and kind of the summer to come and how, how things would go. Uh, much to the joy and despair of the locals, as it could mean a good year and a great harvest, or a bad year with a bad harvest, which would lead, obviously, to a really bad winter. So predictions, uh, some of the predictions that were made were like, if it was bad weather on Palm Sunday, so like if it was pissing it down and stormy and horrible on Palm Sunday, then the year ahead would be bad. But yeah, if you if it rains on Good Friday then it should be a good fertile growing season. So a bit weird there. Good Friday, you can piss it down and you'll get a good year. But a couple of days later on Palm Sunday, if it's a shit day, then you're fucked. Once if you've got like an entire weekend of it just pissing it down. How's that work? Obviously, uh, obviously then you kind of, it's not exactly reliable. It's less reliable than our modern computational models that we use because they're apparently highly reliable. Uh, says the guy who's considering possibly going into a job in that at some point, maybe. That's all if I can't be bothered to carry on research in things that I'm doing. Yeah, I do hydrodynamical simulations of gas and fluids and things in astrophysics, which it kind of relates to weather. Anyway, anyway, uh, side topic. You don't need to know that. We're here about folklore, not about science. Other things. So if the meadows turn to hay after Easter and kind of around St. George's Day, which is usually the 23rd of April, and it's very much a British holiday. It's not even a holiday, it's not even a bank holiday anymore. Much to the annoyance of certain idiots and make British make Britain great again tits who believe that we need to go back to the 1940s. Uh, they can all go do one. But we'll deal with St George's Day on another day if I want to look into that story. Um, but yeah, so if, if, if the meadows turn to hay on that day and the rye is tall enough to hide a cow then it was predicted that we'd get a good harvest. But yeah, if you look at the story of St. George's, he's, he's actually from uh, Turkey. And uh, the whole thing about Albion, as I've mentioned before, comes from Pr- uh, Persia. So we'll look at that another day and piss off a load of people. Another popular thing uh, weather watchers used to do, and to some extent still do, because uh, I remember I was watching, I think it was a documentary on Netflix. It may have been on Netflix, it may have been on Amazon Prime, I can't remember. There was a, a guy in America who was an actual, he actually, uh, I don't want to say ornithologist, but maybe he was. But he tagged birds and watched birds and things, and he noticed a pattern within a certain bird that months in advance, their migratory patterns would, would vary, and they'd vary in very specific ways. And if they did a certain thing at a certain time, it would kind of 
predict a hurricane season and how bad the hurricane season what would be and when it would be. And it was unerringly accurate when when he would do this. And I, I, I should look up more into it because it was quite interesting. Um, like he was a proper scientist and there was some science behind it. So I need to look, kind of maybe look into that again. But yeah, these birds managed to, months in advance before even hurricane season started, managed to predict how deadly hurricane season was going to be. But yeah, so uh, they still kind of do this, but they also used to watch birds and trees. There's a couple of old sayings that kind of connect to this. So one with trees, we have oak before ash, only a splash. Ash before oak, soak, soak, soak. Nice bit of rhyming rhyming slang there. Not rhyming slang. Just a nice little bit of rhyming, I suppose. Uh, this refers to when the trees start to grow their leaves and how much rain might occur. So if if oak leaves before the ash, we'll only get a splash of water. However, if oak leaves before... No, if ash oak... Ugh. If ash leaves before oak, then you're going to get pissed on. So watch them trees. We'll see this is maybe not that reliable. Another uh, another saying connected to birds that is probably even less reliable than that one. When rooks build high, then there is a good summer to come. Because apparently rooks habitually, not apparently, but yeah, rooks habitually repair last year's nests to reuse. So we're not quite sure how if you build a high nest. I suppose, uh, I would see that the other way around. If, 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 if they were going to build a, a high nest, it means it's going to piss it down, it's going to flood and it'll knock it down. So there's a sturdier base for next year. Well, there's a sturdier base for this year. So it doesn't all get washed away. So there's less... Uh, nah, anyway. Eh, I don't know. Sayings are weird. So yeah, on the subject of that. Um, this has nothing to do with Easter, really. But I've always known... This This is a saying that's always been in my head that's kind of related to weather. Uh, who, who else knows this and remembers this? A red sky at night, shepherd's delight. Red sky in the morning, shepherd's warning. Meaning basically that if you see a nice sunset, that tomorrow is going to be quite a good day. But uh, a red dawn, well, then the weather's going to be bad for the day. So, yeah, um, I've always liked this because it's always nice to look out in the evening and you see this really beautiful, red, fiery sunset. And you're kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, no, I remember. Red sky at night, shepherds are like, that means tomorrow's going to be a nice day as well. So, I don't know. I don't know if anybody else does that. It's always something I do whenever I see a, a nice sunset. If I see a red, if I see a red dawn, I'm always like, "Oh my god, why am I up so early?" Or, "Oh my god, the world's on fire. Why are we all going to die in a nuclear apocalypse?" But yes, <laughs> wow. Okay. Anyway, so there you go. There's um, there's my first ever bonus episode. Um, only a very short one on some of on on kind of like some of the little bits of Easter, and disproving a few things, maybe possibly. So there you go. That's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, so as always, please like and subscribe and follow me on Spotify, Apple and wherever it is. Leave me ratings and comments on Apple. Uh, share it around on the socials is the best way to kind of promote it. And do let me know what you think because feedback is always welcome. I don't get any feedback so I don't know whether this is actually falling on deaf ears or anyone ever gets to this point in the podcast. So you can also find me over on Twitter, um, over on the socials, kind of like at Twitter. Or uh, at the Drunken Store One. I'm on Facebook, the Drunken Storyteller. You can email me at the Drunken Storyteller UK at gmail.com where you can send me suggestions and topics on stories to cover and talk about. I'm also thinking about setting up a Discord soon for various reasons where we can talk about folklore on Discord and uh, kind of organize some of the, the gaming stuff that I'm kind of planning in the future. You can also check me out over on my other podcast over at Darker Days Radio where we talk about horror-themed RPGs um, and stuff. And we do have a Discord for that. 
go check out Dark Days Radio for that Discord. We also play, we are playing An Enemy Within, Warhammer Game over on Gehenna Gaming on Twitch. They also have a Discord. I'm on both of those Discords. I hope you enjoyed that slight, shorter, random episode. Thank you very much. Um, All that's left for me to say is thank you, and goodbye, my friends.